Welcome to Blunt Blown Mama podcast. I'm your host, Shanitria, and this is a podcast about all things cannabis and parenthood. Yep, I'm a mom. I got two kids. I'm 31 years old and I got a man. We've been together for over eight years and I decided I'm going to do a podcast and I'm just going to talk all about weed and being a mom. (laughs) So that's what I'm doing. Let's just get into it. Welcome to season two of Blunt Boy Mama podcast. Welcome back, guys, to the podcast. I am joined by two guests. You guys have definitely heard from these ladies before. They were on a previous episode of the podcast where we were talking about psychedelics and all the things that people need to know about them and kind of debunking, you know, a lot of things about psychedelics. And now they're back. (laughs) And this time we're going to talk about psychedelics and parenting specifically. You guys had a lot of questions about using psychedelics as a parent. And so I had to definitely bring the ladies back from a double blind and pose those questions to them because I don't have the answers, (laughs) but I kind of want the answers. So um, welcome back, ladies, to Bumble Mama Podcast. Go ahead and introduce yourselves for anyone who didn't catch the previous episode. Thank you for having us back. We're glad to be back. I am Shelby Hartman, and I'm co-founder and editor-in-chief of Double Blind. And I'm Madison Margolin, co-founder and managing editor of Double Blind. And for people who don't know, what's Double Blind Magazine? We are a digital media company and biannual print magazine using psychedelics as a jumping-off point to talk about a whole host of issues, uh, mental health, uh, social equities, environmental justice, spirituality, um, stuff like that. And we also are a resource where people come to us online and learn about psychedelics. You can purchase drug testing kits on our site, um, cute merchandise. We hold events in different places around the country. And for people who are just like, you know, like why psychedelics? Kind of give them like a brief background of what made you guys decide to start Double Blind and what are your key, you know, like missions and, and why should people care? about psychedelics at all. I know a lot of people kind of like, well, okay, well, why should I care about that? But it's a kind of a big issue right now. Someone the other day asked me what I care most about, and my answer was healing. And I think that I can speak for both Madison and I when I say that really that's what this is all about. Psychedelics are one tool of many tools to heal, but we think that they're a very powerful one. And we think that they're a very powerful jumping off point for talking about what it means to truly be well, not to just be sort of like keeping your head above water, which unfortunately is what so many people, including parents, are doing in our society. Right. I definitely agree with you. Trust me. (laughs) I guess without any further ado, let's jump into these questions. So a little bit of background. I posted questions in Blunt Blowing Mama's Instagram stories, um, basically asking you guys, you know, what do you want to know about psychedelics? And, you know, And if you've tried them, then, you know, or if you haven't tried them, why not? Um, I got a lot of responses from you guys about your fears and concerns and also some really good questions. So we're going to tackle those right now so that we can just really better address like how to incorporate psychedelics into your life as a parent and, you know, concerns parents may have um, about using psychedelics because, you know, I mean, being a parent, consuming cannabis is risky. Definitely consuming psychedelics can be considered risky, not for the health reasons, but for kind of like the legal reasons. And some people just don't know where to find them, you know, period, or like how to, when I find it, what do I do? <laughs> you know, so the first question that a lot of people wanted answers to, basically, it's kind of like the first question I think I kind of think of as well as, you know, where and how are the best ways to find safe psychedelics, um, specifically shrooms. I think that's like the number one (laughs) psychedelic that people are interested in and trying and like, how can I find it? (laughs) The safest way to find mushrooms is to grow your own. Mm. It's legal to buy mushroom spores in almost every state and it's not very hard. That being said, once the spore turns into a psilocybin containing mushroom, it is federally illegal. So that that's a risk. I would say, alternatively, if you don't want to take that risk because you're a parent, that there are 
retreat centers abroad that are legal and vetted and totally safe for having psychedelic experiences. So there's a retreat center in Jamaica called Myco Meditations. There's a retreat center in Mexico that we love called Buena Vida. And there's also a retreat center in the Netherlands called Synthesis. And you can go to any of these places and have a supported psychedelic mushroom experience, which I think if you've never done mushrooms before, it's probably a good idea to do it in a really supported environment rather than just taking them on your own anyway. Mm -hmm. And you guys mentioned growing them. Do you guys know or have any like references to resources for people on how to figure out, you know, like how to grow them on their own? Is it just like growing regular like mushrooms in the garden, like the vegetable or are Um, mushrooms considered vegetables? I don't know. (laughs) know, They're they're fungus, which isn't even technically a plant. Mm. I mean, of course, they grow naturally in nature. But if you're doing it on your own, you want it to be extremely um, sterile. And so there's a very specific way to set up your environment for it. And we're actually about to... um, We have a course where we haven't released it yet, but we're going to teach people how to grow their own mushrooms from reishis to lion's tail or, you know, any kind of mushroom really. So you should just keep checking back on our site for information on how to grow your own mushrooms. That's awesome. I will definitely check out that resource when you guys um, have that. Do you know when you guys will have that available? It'll be out in the spring, in the next couple of months. Oh, right on time for 420, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> um, and speaking of uh, shrooms, uh, a lot of parents wanted to know how can you microdose with mushrooms? What's the best way to microdose with, I guess, magic mushrooms, shrooms, psilocybin, whatever folks want to call it? <laughs> mm-hmm. So sort of the definitive microdosing researcher is this guy named James Fadiman, and he has a website and he's been collecting reports from thousands and thousands of people who have microdosed, just anecdotal reports to kind of assess what conditions it works for and what the risks of it are. And it turns out that it works for so many different things from sort of a lack of productivity to depression to, gosh, what else, Madison? Like people say it helps with inflammation. People are basically... Focus. Yeah. I would maybe compare it a little bit to the CBD craze in which people say like people will say microdosing helps with everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that the risks are very uh, minimal, but he has a protocol on his website and he basically says, start with one twentieth to one tenth of a recreational dose of whatever substance that you want to microdose on. Mm -hmm. So in the case of LSD, that would be like five to 10 micrograms. And in the case of psilocybin, it would be like 0.1 to 0.4 grams of psilocybin mushrooms. How you would do that is you would buy mushrooms or grow your own. You would grind them up in a coffee grinder and you would weigh out on a little scale the proper amount of grams. And like with any substance, like with cannabis or alcohol or anything else, I mean, obviously start on the low end, stick with it for a month or six weeks and you can gradually up your dose, but better to start with too little than to start with too much. And how will people know if they've like used too little? I guess they won't feel anything, right? Or there won't be any, like you won't, it'll just be like, oh, did I even take that? So how do they go about, do you recommend people journal and like to figure out like what's the best dosage for them? I would recommend, I mean, you'll obviously know if you took too much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the idea is that it's going to be a sub-perceptible dose. So what that means is you're not actively aware of the effects that it's having on you, but your mood is a little bit more elevated or you're going about your day with a, a level of ease maybe that you don't experience regularly, especially if you're the kind of person who experiences anxiety or depression or emotional things that kind of make life feel harder. In my own personal experience, I would say that it's, it is very subtle, but you just recognize, oh, I'm in the moment right now. Or, oh, like today was a good day. That was actually the title of the book by um, Ayelet Waldman, who microdosed LSD, which was a really good day. It really does feel like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like anything that you put into your body too. You really have to stick with it for a little while. It's not going to change your life overnight. 
So if you were, for example, like going to radically change your diet, you wouldn't expect that the next day your entire digestive system would be different, right? <laughs> like you would have to stick with it for a little while and really pay attention to how things were shifting for you to know if it was making a difference. Right. I think that makes perfect sense. It goes back to kind of being mindful and paying attention to your body and listening to what your body needs and like journaling and just being more intuitive, right? I think that kind of all ties back into the health and wellness conversation overall at large. And so do you guys recommend or like just for parents daily microdosing or like once or twice a week or like what would be or just kind of feel it out on what feels best for you kind of thing? James Fadiman recommends dosing every three days. Okay. So a dose, a dose the next day, a day off, repeat. Got it. Got it. Got it. The next question people wanted to know was how can parents handle the druggy stigma often attached to those who consume psychedelics? I think, first of all, the conversation around psychedelics is changing, right? And they're being shown in clinical trials at Johns Hopkins, NYU, through the research um, nonprofit MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, um, to be legitimately useful medicines um, for depression or PTSD or anxiety or addiction or any host of issues. And so when you reframe a psychedelic as a medicine or something that is uh, soon to be an FDA-approved medication and assisted psychotherapy, or when you just recognize it as a plant, I think that does a lot to sort of undermine the stigma and reframes it as a wellness tool rather than a drug that you're getting that you're just sort of partying on or something like that. Not to say that there is a right way to use psychedelics or that it's wrong if you do want to take a psychedelic at a party. But the idea being that there are responsible people who are utilizing psychedelics for wellness, um, they're microdosing, their lives are really being changed for the better. And they're not examples of maybe this antiquated stereotype of you're going to drop acid and lose your mind. (laughs) Right, which is what a lot of people think, um, unfortunately. So I think that kind of what you're saying is like, if somebody says like, oh, only druggies use psychedelics, aren't you a parent? Then you can kind of counter and say, well, actually, this is part of me taking care of myself. And, you know, so I think that just finding ways to kind of you know, someone questions you about that, then it's like, oh, this is an opportunity to start a conversation which I think like that's the first way to getting that education out there that people need because a lot of people do still look at psychedelics that way and people who decide to use them to take care of themselves. Yeah. Uh, Shelby, did you want to add anything? I guess in terms of addressing the stigma, one really good technique is to talk about the extent to which psychedelics are helping veterans Like, I feel that that's a narrative that especially resonates among people who are more politically conservative. Mm -hmm. Um, So say that, like, you're more liberal or open-minded and you're a parent and you want to try psychedelics, but you have family members who are really conservative and would judge you for it. I think that a lot of those people have a lot of empathy for the extent to which post-traumatic stress disorder has been inflicted upon our armed forces. And you can just point to all the ways in which psychedelics, specifically MDMA, but also ayahuasca and mushrooms and cannabis are totally transforming those people's lives. And it really is just about healing. And you have to kind of provide people with this larger context, which is, hey, look, if there was something that was legal that could help me, I would be taking it. But I've tried. I've tried all these other things, and none of them worked. And I'm unhappy, and I'm unpro- or I'm unproductive, or I'm not as present as I should be for my family and my kids and all the people that I love. And this is going to help me. And I think that anybody can kind of like respect that, you know, coming from a place of vulnerability and you know honesty. And who doesn't love the troops? Like who doesn't love our vets and stuff, or knows somebody who's a veteran? So again, at least on some level, you know, sympathize. So the next question is uh, best techniques for parents to unwind with psychedelics and put other thoughts at ease, like concerns or worrying about errands or work emails or kids. 
Well, I would say that it depends how you are intending to use the psychedelic. Um, I have a friend who has children and she took mushrooms and ended up really worried about her kids. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think she realized how high she was going to get and it ruined her trip because she was worried about them and who was taking care of them. And you make sure that first of all, you're set in setting and this applies to anyone, whether you're a parent or not, make sure your set in setting is in order, meaning that a, your mental state is like you're feeling mentally prepared and emotionally prepared, but also that your setting is prepared so that you have a babysitter or your co-parent is taking care of the kids, or you know that everything is in order so that that's one less thing that you have to worry about, especially under the influence. So yeah, I would say really just having your set and setting, it's like psychedelics 101, um, make sure that is in place. Yeah. And I also think that putting the time in to prepare and creating the space to process what happened to you is really important. So I'm trying to think of like what a good comparison would be, but I guess you could compare it to physical surgery because in some ways I think of psychedelics as like a kind of spiritual or psychological surgery and you wouldn't go and have a hip replacement and expect to be like jogging the next day. You know, I mean, if you're going to take these medicines and they're going to potentially open up old wounds for you. And I mean, there's profound healing to be had, but it's not something to take lightly. Right. And so if you are a parent and you have all these things going on in your life and there's just no way to create the space for you to really, I'm not saying you need to take two weeks off work, but give yourself a day before where all you're doing is like meditating and it's me time and you're doing yoga and you're journaling about your intention, a day to do it and a day after to just rest and hydrate. Um, this isn't something you're going to just do for four hours and then it's going to be over. If it really, if, if you really are intending to have a potentially life changing experience. Right. I think I, I'm happy that you guys said, you know, the importance of set and setting and setting aside the time to actually enjoy the trip and get what you need to get out of it. And so that you're not worried and like it's full of anxiety the whole time. Like, Oh my gosh, like, is this happening? And is that happening? You know, and just be kind of enjoy it. So it sounds like something that you probably want to kind of set aside a weekend and maybe have like a weekend staycation or something or that kind of situation where it's like Friday maybe you take off from work and you kind of prepare and Saturday you actually take whatever you want to take. And then Sunday you kind of relax afterwards and then, okay, Monday back to to business. You know, I think that that probably is something that would work for a lot of even people who maybe have demanding jobs and are not just parents to be able to say, okay, I'm going to set aside a little, this is my next vacation, you know? (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Something else I would add is that I often go into psychedelics with all of these questions like, what should I do about so-and-so who's been irritating me at work? Or what should I do about, you know, just these sort of minor day-to-day things that have been weighing me down. And then when I get into the psychedelic experience, what I realize is that all of that sort of fades away and that the things that are right in front of me are questions which are much larger like typically these sort of neuroses we have that are dominating our lives are not, I do think that they're rooted in something deeper. They're rooted in like a pattern of a feeling or a pattern of thought. It's not really just about like the fact that your kid got detention the other day or whatever, like little thing that you think is weighing you down. That's going to derail the entire experience. Like sometimes all these concerns and things that are weighing you down, like the psychedelic is, you shouldn't not do the psychedelic because of those concerns because the psychedelic is actually going to like ease a lot of that up for you and give you the perspective that you feel like you've lost in the day to day. I feel like that's a hundred thousand percent what people need to hear (laughs) because I think that there is just so much anxiety around it for a lot of parents about, I don't know if I'll be able to actually relax. I don't know if I'll be able to actually dedicate the time or put my mind at ease. So I think that these are like really major tips for people. And that kind of segues perfectly into the next question. Well, it's not really a question, but a lot of people were just 
concerned about their safety, about hallucinating, about having a bad trip. And so wanted to kind of ask you guys, is there kind of like a step-by-step list or like a checklist or something on like safe ways to consume psychedelics so that the trip is um, enjoyable and safe? Yeah. So we actually have an article in our second issue, which is, it's not quite about preparing for a trip, but it's what to do if you have a bad trip. But a lot of the tenets that the writer, who is Michelle Janikian, shout out to her, um, a lot of the tenets in the story are actually good for how to prepare for your trip, right? So one of them is like breathing exercises. Another thing, two of the things that you can prepare beforehand are distractions. So like set up music that you want to hear that makes you happy or something to draw with, or if you have the wherewithal to journal, something like that, or different objects that are meaningful to you and that might make you feel good during the trip. It could be a toy, it could be some sort of talisman, whatever. Also knowing that you, it would be, especially if you haven't tripped before, having someone, especially someone who's sober to be there with you, whether that's, you know, taking you from one environment to another, if you are in nature and then you decide you want to go home, obviously you can't trip and drive, but you want to be able to change the scenery if you're feeling a little bit out of sorts or just kind of bored and want to switch it up. So make sure that before you take the psychedelic, you're in an environment where you can go inside and outside really easily, or you have drinks and water prepared for you. Um, Really basic stuff like that is going to make your trip a lot easier while you're actually having it. So you don't have to think about these things beforehand. Um, One thing that I found really useful is if you are having a moment where in which it feels challenging to exhale for longer than you inhale in a breathing exercise. So that was a really really specific, but I think really helpful thing to keep in mind. And another thing is make sure that you have when you, that I can't emphasize enough to make sure that whoever you're doing it with is someone you trust that you highly, highly trust. And that will, I think be transformative for the trip itself. Mm-hmm. Also something that we try to do a double blind and that a lot of the psychedelic researchers and therapists emphasize is Um, This idea of a bad trip, like the term bad, is sort of misleading and kind of damaging. I mean, look, we're not going to lie to you and tell you that like, you're definitely going to have, you're just going to be surrounded by white light and penetrated by love and see rainbows everywhere you look. I mean, that can happen and it does happen and it happens often. But also, you know, tripping can be very uncomfortable. It can. And If you go into a clinical trial for depression or any other condition, the therapists and researchers will warn you of that and they will let you know because they want you to be prepared. But there's so much wisdom in whatever comes up for you. It's not like you're just uncomfortable to feel uncomfortable and then you come out the other side and you were like, well, that was shitty. (laughs) I mean, you have to imagine like, it really, like I said before, really is like having psychological or spiritual surgery. If you needed a hip replacement or you needed a, your deviated septum fixed or whatever other thing, because it was really impairing your life, you wouldn't look forward to the surgery. You would know that after the surgery, there would be a healing process. You would also know that you were going into it because you had the intention and desire to be better. So it really depends on where you're at in your life and everybody is <laughs> has different levels of skeletons in their closet and different kinds of skeletons in their closet and things living within their unconscious but like if you are struggling from like a deep deep depression or anxiety or whatever it's possible that those feelings will become intensified but you'll also be able to process them and move through them in a way that's deeply healing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I definitely think that it makes sense. I guess that's probably part of the fear for some people maybe is just the lack of control that they feel like they may have over their emotions or the moment. And being able to relinquish can be tough, you know, especially for as a parent, you're controlling every aspect of of another person's day and kind of to an extent, probably your partner, if you're, you know, (laughs) with someone and then you're so so much control you you exert every day in your life. The thought of not having control for a few hours could probably be overwhelming for some people. I think 
I'm obviously generalizing, but I can assume that, you know, from the questions I got from a lot of the parents that there was just, you know, overall fear and anxiety of like not being able to have any control. Yeah. I mean, it can be scary, but I mean, gosh, trying to control everything, isn't that futile? <laughs> like, what does that ultimately do for our psyches? <laughs> Totally. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. My next question, how can psychedelics be helpful in a healthy form of, you know, alternative, I kind of put that in quotes, um, medicine for parents? Well, I think that we talked about it already a little bit, but there's really kind of two ways to do this. Or I think you could think of two main buckets. The first is microdosing. So if you're microdosing on a day-to-day basis, it can be incredibly helpful for just elevating your mood and helping with energy and helping with depression and providing clarity. And there's all kinds of side effects that it can have that are beneficial on a day-to-day basis. And I would think especially for a parent who has a lot going on and is very stressed. And then the second would be macrodosing or, you know, doing a doing a big dose and there's just a lot of healing. There's a lot of healing to be had in these experiences. But I also think that especially for parents, it's so important to carve the time out for ourselves to rest and to rejuvenate and to ground. And when you're doing a psychedelic, that's really, it's a part of it. And so I wouldn't say, I mean, there's so many things. Madison and I don't create a hierarchy of tools for healing. So I would also say like that the things that you would get from a psychedelic as a parent are also a lot of the things that you would get from like going on a 10 day silent meditation retreat or deciding that every single three times a week, you're going to go to yoga. You know, really it just comes down to self-care. Absolutely. I think that self-care is just like the large overarching kind of commonality of everything that we're talking about here is when you say like carve out three days to consume psychedelic and process it and journal and set and setting and being mindful and journaling and all those things that's self-care right so if you value yourself and you want to take care of yourself then why not find some way if reasonable and if you feel that you want to add that to your life then why not Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give it a go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Something I, I'll mention is there's a blog called Psychedelic Parenting, mm-hmm. and they also have a Facebook page. They say that the top five values of psychedelic parenting are spiritual growth and openness. That's one value that they combine. Conscious living, infinite curiosity, radical honesty, and authentic expression. And I think that psychedelics, um, a lot of people say that they sort of turn you into a kid again. They give you this sense of awe and curiosity about the world that we can often lose when we are so caught up in getting our errands done and taking care of all the things. And I think that reintroducing a sense of sort of awe and curiosity and conscious living and openness, these are good things for everyone, but they're probably especially good things for a parent because, I mean, Look, I can't speak. I'm not a parent, but I can tell you that when I'm with children and I feel like I can kind of place myself into their mindset, that there's like a a really powerful connectivity that happens there. What do you think? Because you're a mom. What do you think? (laughs) Absolutely. I think that you definitely hit on something where, and that's why I'm like an advocate of parents consuming cannabis in some way or form and definitely psychedelics as well like if you can because kids are actually quite powerful and their curiosity and wonder is something that we often forget that we once had right and Mm -hmm. we we grow up and we get so jaded by the world you get your heart broken you know you like people die (laughs) like shit happens you know you may Maybe you break your finger for the first time and it's just like, I'm never going to do that again. And so you learn fear, right? And watching a baby, you realize like babies have no fear. 
they don't have any idea like why am I scared you kind of learn to be afraid of things as you get older as you gather more experiences so when you're able to consume cannabis or psychedelics and you get that temporary release from those fears and from all the things that kind of weigh you down that essentially makes you an adult, right? (laughs) An adult means wearing a lot of responsibilities. Um, It definitely makes you a better parent because you're able to connect with them better. But I think that even if you weren't a parent, you know, if you're able to just kind of like safely microdose, whatever you're microdosing, cannabis, shrooms, whatever, LSD, and take out a coloring book and color, you know, and really engage yourself in that way and just kind of breach into your inner child. I think we all need to bring that out more so we don't take ourselves so damn seriously um, (laughs) all the time. Just have a little fun. Mm. Oh, and the last thing I want to add, and then I won't take up any more space, (laughs) is for parents who have partners, psychedelics are amazing, can be amazing tools for working through issues around romance and intimacy. I would say also, yeah, there's a lot of potential there. MDMA, which is slated to be legal in the next um, couple years for post-traumatic stress disorder, was used for decades and decades for couples therapy. And so this is a whole other conversation, but I think it's just sort of relevant. Um, Obviously, one of the things that happens a lot of times when couples have kids is that the stress of the kids kind of gets in the way of their connection or like their spark. Right. Or you know what? It's even like, like I've been with my boyfriend for like seven years now. And a lot of people look at that and it's like, wow, that's a lot of time together. I can't wait, you know, and like that. But it's just like, think about spending seven years with somebody or 27 years with somebody. Um, and how things can get kind of routine, you know, it's, oh, hey, you again, okay, hey, you again, again, <laughs> you know, every day, you add kids to the mix, you add jobs and everything like that. And then next thing you know, like, you just don't really you, there's no, uh, what's the thing fire anymore. So very interesting that you brought that up, because I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's something that a lot of people probably didn't think about or consider. Are those studies like, is that anything you guys have on your website about that because I'm pretty sure people want to know more about using psychedelics for the love life (laughs) because yeah we actually have a story that we just published a couple weeks ago by uh, Nicole Hodges who has um, who's starting a column with us actually on psychedelics and sex or psychedelics and relationships Um, nice yeah the story is called uh, I love you let's trip together but basically it surveys different types of psychedelics including mainly mushrooms and MDMA as tools and tools for strengthening a relationship. And what she interviewed a researcher who actually was doing research on couples in which one of the people has PTSD. And so how can the medicine help a couple break through um, one of the partners like own sort of psychological boundaries in order to connect? So especially when somebody people say, oh, psychedelics are good for anxiety or trauma or this or that those ailments are also things that could get in the way of a relationship. And so Mm. to be able to like address your own personal healing and then heal the relationship at at the same time, I think is really powerful. And she talks a lot about that in the story. That sounds awesome. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious for a second. It sounds like if a couple were say having issues in the relationship or something, or maybe sexual issues and, you know, maybe there's like a block like that neither person's really aware of and that's causing tension or what have you in the relationship. Are there types like therapy out there or like where you can actually, you know, have a therapist and also have like psychedelics incorporated into that? Or am I just making this up and it just sounds like a good idea? (laughs) I mean, it is totally a good idea. And as Shelby mentioned before, in the past when the psychedelics were used in therapy, whether it was couples therapy or individual therapy, today unless you're in a study, you can't really do psychedelics. Legally, you can't do psychedelics like in, under the supervision of a therapist unless you're talking about someone who's doing it underground. That said, if a couple decides to trip together or do MDMA together, they can then visit an integration therapist afterward and talk about the insights that they had. And the integration therapist is trained specifically to kind of evoke the lessons of the psychedelic experience and then how they can be applied to everyday life. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And they can also see an integration therapist before they have the experience if they really want to, to kind of set boundaries and talk about their intentions and talk about kind of the safest way to do it. MAPS, which Madison mentioned before, is the primary research nonprofit behind a lot of the clinical trials investigating psychedelics, has a database on their website of integration therapists all across the U.S. So you can go on their website and find a psychedelic therapist who lives near you and visit them with your partner and talk to them about the fact that you're thinking about doing this and get their insights. That's wonderful. Thank you guys for speaking on that and sharing those insights and those resources. I We'll definitely need those links and everything afterwards because I'm sure people are definitely going to want to look them up, especially the part about the relationships and the, I didn't even know that you guys said integration therapists. I had never heard of that before. The whole field of therapy, actually, we have a story coming out on it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Check our site and you'll be able to read about it. That's so awesome. I'm like, wow, I'm like learning so much. Okay. (laughs) I think we're wrapping up here. I just have two more questions. The first one is what's the best or most recommended by you guys a psychedelic for parents or just first timers to try? (laughs) I think this is very biased. Everyone always recommends their favorite psychedelics. (laughs) (laughs) I would probably say if you're really curious and you want to get your toes wet, start with microdosing mushrooms. Mm -hmm. I would say MDMA or mushrooms. MDMA because it's not really a proper trip. And what I mean by that is when you're tripping on a classic psychedelic like LSD or, or psilocybin, or which are the main component of mushrooms, you really are, you do feel like you're breaking through to the other side of a different level of consciousness where MDMA, you're kind of still in reality. It's just, you feel really good in reality. And it's, so it's not so much another space entirely. So if you want to stay kind of in reality, I would say either microdose on mushrooms or try MDMA. Make sure you know your dose. Um, I got it. I got you. <laughs> that's my take. Those are the two that I think are the most manageable, especially because the, the effects of the medicine only last like about five hours or so. Mm-hmm. Is that for MDMA? You said it lasts for about five hours. Yeah, maybe even less for MDMA. It depends. Okay. I'm thinking to myself, if I'm like a first timer, you guys are mentioning some tools here. I'm thinking I should go get a journal or a notebook and a pen and paper, some sort of pen and paper. I should probably try to find the integration therapist if I want to do it with my partner or even just by myself. I should possibly try to get me a scale from Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) One more thing that's really, really important is if you're on any SSRIs, really check. We're going to have a story also coming out on this soon, but you really, especially with MDMA, but to an extent with other psychedelics, you want to make sure that you're not having any contraindications that are going to put your health, like your physical health at risk. Mm. Because the toxicity is pretty low for most psychedelics, but if you're on other medications, it can complicate things a little bit. Yeah. The only conditions which are contraindicated with psychedelics are bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Those are for the um, psychedelics, but if you yeah, classic them, psychedelics like LSD and mushrooms, but otherwise, psychedelics are have shown promise for helping with pretty much every mental health condition you can imagine, from depression to nicotine addiction to alcoholism to, I mean, really anything trauma. I'm shocked no one asked me this, but I'm just going to throw this question in really quickly because you guys did bring up depression. I'm totally throwing this at you, so you haven't had time to research it, but um, do you guys think that perhaps psychedelics could help someone struggling with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety? Definitely, definitely. Psilocybin has been fast-tracked by the FDA for approval um, for both treatment-resistant depression and major depressive disorder. There's actually quite a bit of research at this point showing that psilocybin mushrooms help with depression. Absolutely. Hmm. I mean, I'm not an expert specifically in postpartum depression, so I couldn't tell you how that differs from major depressive disorder, but I would imagine a lot of the symptoms are the same. Mm -hmm. With postpartum, the depression is brought on after giving birth. But yeah, I think that that's really interesting. And even, you know, some people 
suffer from depression. And they've told me that that's the reason why they don't want to have kids because they're afraid. They're still struggling to kind of take care of themselves with their depression and they consume cannabis for that. And they're afraid that if they get pregnant, they won't be able to continue to medicate. And then what happens after they give birth? You know, will the depression get worse? And so it's kind of those yeah. sorts of concerns that, you know, I've heard from a lot of moms, but, you know, even just a lot of women who I know have depression and are on tons and tons of like medications and pharmaceuticals and like dealing with the things that come with taking a lot of pharmaceutical drugs, like mood swings, uh, low libido and, you know, all the things that kind of weight gain and like the crazy things that pharmaceutical drugs do to your body, obviously. I don't have to tell you guys. Um, So with that being like psychedelics being an option, like what are the ways that it helps people, like people who are suffering from depression? It's shown to cure depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's incredible about psychedelic therapy is it's not a drug that you're taking home with you that you're taking again and again and again to maintain a certain level of just function. It's an experience that you have two or three times that changes the way that your brain operates. And I mean, yeah, your symptoms, I mean, it's showing that in many, many cases, all the symptoms that are associated with your depression, so like lethargy and moods, will effectively go away. They'll just go away. I think that's kind of incredible. (laughs) Just because I think this is something that parents in particular will appreciate, or moms, in the Johns Hopkins University studies, after the psychedelic experiences, they the mushroom experiences, they interview the participants, and then they also interview friends and family. And a huge number of participants ranked their psilocybin mushroom experiences as profound as the birth of their first child. Mm. That was how profound it was, that they were comparing it to the birth of their first child, Mm. like one of the three most powerful experiences of their life. And if you interview people decades after a mushroom experience, they will still often say, that was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. That's incredible. I mean, that's definitely saying a lot, especially if you're saying like decades later, like imagine how many experiences you have in your life and to still be able to kind of hold on to that one moment. It's very powerful. Okay, that sounds cool. (laughs) So my last question for you guys is, I think, Shelby, you kind of touched on this, but um, if you guys want to just kind of like run through some places or recap really quickly, what are options for places where people can try psychedelics in a safe environment with the support of others? Yeah, so Shelby mentioned a couple of retreats. One that has been becoming more popular is Synthesis, which is a psilocybin retreat in Amsterdam. There are also retreats in Costa Rica. And Shelby, can you take... Yeah, yeah. I would say that it really depends on the kind of psychedelic experience that you're looking to have. So I don't feel comfortable advocating for anyone taking a psychedelic and just renting, you know, an Airbnb or a house in nature and doing it without knowing more more about that person's particular situation. Because if someone is suffering from PTSD or something, they would probably need more support than that. Mm. That being said, people have been doing psychedelics in America since the 60s. People have been doing psychedelics around the world for thousands and thousands of years. And like I said, without knowing your particular circumstance, I couldn't recommend it. But I will say that many people have just like rented a home in nature or gone camping and done it with someone who they really loved and had very profound experiences that way. But if you are looking to have a experience that is like the experiences that are offered in the clinical trials where you are being supported by a therapist or two therapists throughout the entire session and it's basically you in like a clinical setting on a couch, the only place I know of that you can have that kind of experience is synthesis in Amsterdam where they're about to open a clinic that is going to be following all the same protocols as the clinical trials. 
Otherwise, if you're going to like Myco Meditations or Buena Vida or, you know, one of the many other places in Costa Rica and things, which, you know, you're welcome to reach out to Double Blind and we'll send some vetted retreat centers your way. But these places offer psychedelics in more of a ceremonial setting, which might resonate with you, you know, like some people might love to do that. Other people might feel like they need that therapist who's by their side the entire time. And then other options like, I mean, for anyone who has a loved one or is personally struggling with opioid addiction or heroin addiction, Ibogaine is showing a lot of promise for that. And there are clinics in Mexico and New Zealand and elsewhere where you can do Ibogaine in a supportive setting with a therapist. And then of course, there is a booming sort of ayahuasca retreat center in the Amazon. Again, if you do ayahuasca in that context, it is going to be more ceremonial with like a shaman and incense and music and other things. So just whatever you feel called to, really. And I think it's really interesting. You guys uh, mentioned the, the clinic in Amsterdam. Are psychedelics legal in Amsterdam? I'm not, I don't, not up to snuff on that. <laughs> Truffles are. Mush- yeah. Psilocybin, okay. yeah. Psilocybin is legal. Psilocybin truffles. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And so that kind of allows them to be able to administer it in a clinical setting like that. And mm-hmm. will this space be the first of its kind there or? I couldn't tell you if there, you know, oftentimes, oftentimes Madison and I get called out on Twitter and things because the psychedelic community is small, but it's growing so fast that things are happening all of the time that you sort of slip under the radar that, that don't come onto our radar. And so I'll say that like synthesis for sure is one of the most like reputable and well-known centers that is administering mushrooms in a clinical setting, but there could be others that we just don't know about. <laughs> right, right. Do you have to pay for that? I'm assuming, right? Like in- Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And it's, it is really pretty expensive. And we did a story on double blind. I wrote it and we titled it the ayahuasca privilege. And Mm -hmm. it was looking at the cost of ayahuasca ceremonies, but also just like exploring these larger questions around the lack of accessibility when it comes to alternative healing in general, like meditation retreats and wellness things. And so much of this stuff is just like, crazy expensive and Madison and I feel very strongly that like we shouldn't be putting a price on healing like everyone should have access to these things that being said if you have limited discretionary income and you really want to go abroad to a retreat center and have one of these experiences there are several retreat centers right now that are setting up funds and have scholarships and things to help people Um, there's an organization called cosmic sister which sends women, low-income women, to the Amazon for free to drink ayahuasca. And there's also a nonprofit called the Heroic Hearts Project. That's just for veterans, but they also offer scholarships for people who want to drink ayahuasca. That's incredible. And you know what? I didn't think about the price part. I mean, typically, what's like a retreat like that going to run you or like just like typically how much does it cost to start growing? Like what are the numbers? A retreat is expensive. I would say like the you're going to spend at least $2,000 and upwards of like five or $6,000. Probably more. I would say, I mean, that would really be on the high end. I would say more like 2000 to 4000 because you're not only paying for a retreat that's like five days at a hotel type, in a hotel type. I mean, all the accommodations are different, but you're getting like a room and food and stuff. But you're also paying for a flight out of the country. So by the time you pay for a round trip flight to like Peru or the Netherlands or wherever else, like just that's going to be at least a thousand dollars. But one of the reasons why we're doing this course on how to grow mushrooms is because growing mushrooms is not very expensive and it doesn't take very long. And once you have the setup, like you can do it forever. That would be a more accessible way of going about it. I think that that's really crucial (laughs) key for people to know. It's like, okay, I'm just going to go off to the Amazon now. And it's just like, actually, maybe you need to save. (laughs) Yeah, And I feel like I need to put a disclaimer in there, which is on our course as well, which is we are 100% not advocating for people to do something that's illegal. (laughs) But there are Denver, the county of Denver, if you happen to live there, decriminalized psilocybin in May. And then in June, 
Oakland decriminalized all naturally occurring psychedelics, which doesn't mean that it's legal, but it means that it's the lowest law enforcement priority. So you basically, maybe you can get a fine. I don't know, but you're not going to end up in jail. And then just two days ago, Santa Cruz decriminalized all naturally occurring psychedelics. And now there's more than a hundred cities and counties that are trying to pass initiatives like this. And Oregon has a bill that they're trying to legalize medical psilocybin this year. So I would say like, if you're a parent and you don't want to be growing or taking mushrooms in a context in which it's illegal, and you don't feel really desperate to have this experience tomorrow, like hang in there because in the next like three or four years, chances are there's going to be a city or county near you where you can do it and it's going to be legal, at least on the local level. And what's that push looking like? Do you guys know, like, what's the kind of the speed and the the urgency behind it and the movement in itself? So if you just look at the timeline in May, Denver decriminalized psilocybin. In June, a group called Decriminalized Nature um, had their measure passed in Oakland. With since June, like Shelby said, um, more than 100 cities and counties basically around the country are looking to replicate that initiative or have their own, you know, or have similar versions in the works to sort of accommodate the particular needs of that jurisdiction. And then here we are now in January with Santa Cruz having followed suit. So within less than a year, we're at three jurisdictions. Um, Chicago's city council has already started to consider it. Some are more ahead than others. But point being is, if you just look at the momentum in less than a year of all of these local initiatives cropping up around the country, um, we're seeing both an acceleration on the grassroots level and also on the clinical level where both MDMA and psilocybin have been placed on the FDA fast track, basically, to become prescription medications and assisted psychotherapy within the next couple of years. So if you have a qualifying diagnosis, you might be able to also do it through the medical system as well. So do you think that the combination between grassroots efforts and what is being shown research-wise that's kind of making, because it seems like the movement is rapid, that the things are going pretty fast as far as decriminalization. Does the grassroots effort matter? Is that like the major part or is it the research that matters or is it a combination of it's both really that people are looking at? It's, these are all sort of different branches of a singular movement. And on the one hand, the research is helping to, I won't say legitimize these medicines because psilocybin mushrooms have been used for centuries. They're already legitimate. But for people who need sort of that clinical evidence, especially when they're considering voting on it, if they're on a city council or whatever, the research is sort of helping the grassroots movement along. And by the same token, in the eyes of the federal government, the grassroots movement is sort of the left branch of the left wing of the movement whereas the clinical research is more of a conservative approach because there are all these protocols and kind of very sober scientists involved in pursuing this medicine. So they're very complementary. They're very complementary sides of sort of the same coin, I would say. Right. I think that's incredible. I'm so excited and really happy about Santa Cruz and Oakland. I'm just like, yeah, I don't have to go too far. Um, (laughs) What a great state California can be sometimes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And the state of California might be voting to decriminalize psilocybin this year. It could be statewide decriminalized by the end of this year. Are are there any states that have done that yet or? No, no. There's talk of a statewide initiative in Colorado, but it's very early on. And then, like I said, Oregon might actually legalize medical psilocybin. So not just decriminalization, but they'll have a whole system in place whereby practitioners can get licensed to administer it. And that could happen this year as well. So that would be massive. Wow. Interesting. Things are really picking up speed. And I mean, it's going to be really exciting to see how everything shakes out over, I guess, this next decade. (laughs) I'm curious to see where things will even be by the end of this year. That's all the questions I had for you guys. You guys are great. You you know everything pretty much. Um, Is there anything else that I didn't touch on or that wasn't in the questions that you guys want to kind of bring up or address? I don't think so. I think we did a pretty good job. Can we plug our magazine? Yeah, go for it. So what's next for Double Blind? What are you guys doing? What's in the future? Well, issue two just came out. And so buy it, please. (laughs) Now you can buy it on our website, doubleblindmag.com. We're also in bookstores. 
all across the country. So if you prefer to like go in and to a bookstore in person and you just love to do that, then you can do that. And those are our stockists are on our website. Um, and you can also follow us on Instagram at double blind mag. Um, like I said before, you know, we get a lot of messages. So sometimes it, you know, we're doing our best to, to manage the flow, but we really do want to be here for all of our readers and for everyone who is on this journey, whether they've never had a psychedelic and they feel called or whether they did have a psychedelic and they have questions about what to do next. We want to be here as a resource for people. So um, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Madison, is there anything you want to add? Nope, Shelby got it. We really do want to know what you want to learn about psychedelics. You know, a lot of our content generation comes from what our readers want and what our readers are curious about. So please just reach out to us with your queries. Yeah, I think that, you know, a couple of the questions I brought up, you guys are like, yeah, we just did an article on that. So like, definitely, that's the kind of stuff that people want to see, especially people like myself, who was like, oh, well, I have this question, where can I get, you know, message double blind, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you guys so much for coming back for a second time and answering these questions that um, a lot of the parents in the Blunt Blowing Mama community had i hope that this episode was helpful i know that i learned a lot (laughs) i didn't think it was possible for me to learn more stuff but i definitely just learned a lot of stuff and i was thinking in my head before you guys brought it up that you know i should if i want to do um shrooms with my partner i was like i think we should just take a weekend and just do it that way like and and so to hear that i was like okay i think we're thinking about this in the right way but i feel like my takeaway from this is just to make sure that you are prepared and don't go into it kind of like really flighty half ass and then like <laughs> so i think preparation and being ready and emotionally prepared and make sure your kids are situated is kind of like going to be a major key, especially making sure the kids are situated, okay? (laughs) So thank you guys so much. And again, make sure you guys follow Double Blind on Instagram. I'm going to have all these links and everything that they brought up, links to the magazine and different research and stuff. So on in the show notes for you guys, because I know you're just like, I need what, what was that? (laughs) So thank you ladies so much for coming back. And um, yeah, I can't wait for everybody to hear this. Thank you you so much for having us. It was a joy as always. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Blunt Boy Mama podcast. This is season two. I am so happy to be bringing this to you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I can't wait for you guys to hear next week's episode, which will be airing next Thursday. Yeah. (laughs) If you like what you're hearing, then you should definitely share this podcast with a friend, with a cousin, with a family member. (laughs) And if you really feel in it, you know, if you like it, then you should leave a review on it. (laughs) If you like it, then you should leave a review on it. on apple Podcasts, that is where you are able to rate and review this podcast if you enjoy it i would love that thank you in advance if you are which i know you are doing that (laughs) also follow blunt boy mama on instagram follow blunt boy mama on twitter follow bbm clothing line on instagram which is blunt blowing mama merch that's where you can shop it buy it cop it tag me in it tag bbm clothing line in it and get featured on blunt boy mama's page yeah check it out you guys are already loving it but i love it too so like of course you guys are gonna love it. i would not be giving y'all something that's like shit it's not shit it's the shit it's dope some dope ass merch so you should definitely check it out and you can also like blunt boy mama on facebook you can become a Blunt Boy Mama patron by clicking the link at the top of the page on bluntboymama.com backslash podcast. Y'all, you know I'm high. <laughs> and once you do that, you'll see a link at the top of the page. It says page that says click here to become a Blunt Boy Mama patron. 
And there you can sign up and for as little as $2 <laughs> and you can get up to three extra episodes of the podcast a month. You get shout outs here on the podcast. You will also get free merch. I mean, need I say more? You're able to communicate with me directly. Come on. So it's really, it's a good deal. And at the end of the day, you know that you're supporting a black woman's podcast, a black mom's podcast. And it means the world to me to have the support of the patrons that I do have. Thank you so much, you guys. And I appreciate all of you guys' support and everything and all the love and all the messages. I read them all. So thank you so much for all of your support. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Bye. Bye.